What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Tech in Shanghai podcast. My guest on the show today is Giga Dreo. Giga is the co-founder of Origin Trail, uh, the first purpose-built protocol for supply chains based on blockchain. Now, I actually met Giga at the Bits X Bytes uh, Accelerator Program Demo Day uh, back in 2017, late 2017, uh, where he was pitching to uh, investors and the audience in attendance. Um, and I spoke to him there. I thought it was really cool what they were doing. And so I said, you know, next time you're in Shanghai, uh, let me know and we'll try to set something up. So we did. And in fact, this was the first formal video interview that Tech in Shanghai has done. So this is also available on YouTube. You can see the video uh, format there as well. Um, but in the show, we talk about, of course, the specific protocol and platform that Origin Trail is building to enhance supply chain management. We also look back on 2017. Of course, it was a breakout year for blockchain, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, etc. So we talk about all the things involved in that, the hype, the speculation. We also kind of discuss the potential impacts for how blockchain will influence the future. And finally, I speak to Giga about what it's like to be an entrepreneur, not just in, in tech, but in such a, an industry that has so much hype behind it. And the people believe there's so much potential for impact uh, nestled within this industry. Um, just kind of what it's like, what it's been like being in accelerator programs, flying to different cities frequently throughout the world, explaining this technology to people, how he manages it, all that kind of stuff, which I, I usually like delving into. And as a final note, you'll notice throughout this interview, I refer to Origin Trail as Open Trail. This was a massive brain fart on my part that Giga was clearly too nice to correct me on. Despite his use of Origin Trail throughout, I didn't pick up on it, so I refer to it as Open Trail throughout the interview. I do apologize to Giga, the Origin Trail team, and anyone out there for any confusion caused. The name of the company is Origin Trail, and more information about them can be found at origintrail.io. So without further ado, I give you my discussion with Giga of Origin Trail. Giga, thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting. Um, so this is actually the first time we've done like a formal, legitimate, well-lit, well-captured audio and video interview. <coughs> so we got to thank our studio audience over here uh, PK for setting all this up, and of Thanks, course PK. we work for the venue, uh, giving us the opportunity to use it. Um, so how this came together, just a brief kind of introduction to everyone. We met at the uh, Bits and Bytes, Bits and Bytes demo uh, Accelerator Demo Day, right? Mm. And so for those people that don't know, that's an um, accelerator program that focuses on food and food technology. And you were in batch two, right? Yeah, yeah so there was one batch prior to that, and I actually interviewed Matilda, who was one of the oh. founders, the managing director, and uh, so they invited me to come to batch two, and that's where we met, and uh, I'm super interested in the space that you are now in, and I want to kind of ask you some questions to how everything materialized for you to go from a company that is, was not in that space to mm -hmm. now is, but what I'm referring to is the blockchain space, right? Perfect. So we had a quick chat at the demo day. You were overwhelmed with you know, people to talk to and investors and people want to learn more. So we didn't get a chance to speak, but I said, next time you're in Shanghai, give me a call and we'll hook it up. And here we are. So thank you for, for coming through and thank you for you know, accepting the, and giving me the time for the chat. Um, why don't you first introduce yourself and uh, your company and then we can just get rolling from there. Mm -hmm. 
First off, uh, thank you, John, for inviting me here. It's a pleasure to be at uh, yet another WeWork uh, space. <laughs> I'm actually just, just flew in from, from Hong Kong, uh, also visiting their spaces, and uh, it's always incredible to see how vibrant these kind of, uh, these kind of co-working spaces are. Uh, yeah, so my name is uh, Giga Drill. Uh, it's a very complicated name in a way, very exotic for, for many places. I come from a very tiny country called Slovenia. It's in the middle of, uh, of Europe. It's a, it's a country of two million people. And uh, yeah, so uh, since 2011, uh, me and my co-founders, uh, Tomasz Levak and Brang Mirakic, have been working on, on food transparency, in food supply chain transparency. Uh, initially, uh, we worked uh, on a student project, uh, and the result of that student project was kind of a rudimentary system uh, that would allow shoppers to see the exact provenance of every uh, food item in stores. And that was back in 2011. Um, so the main, the main reason why we went into that direction was that we saw there is a, there is a huge discrepancy between information uh, that shopper, shoppers get and the information actually that uh, the, the, the seller, seller possesses. Yeah. Or even the, you know, the, the discrepancies in the supply chain between, between suppliers and, and buyers, uh, the, the, the um, bulk, bulk buyers. Uh, so we decided to kind of um, fill, fill in the gap that existed in, in, in food supply chains. So there was a huge informational asymmetry. And uh, our first project, um, in the first project, we involved uh, local beef producers. So we went into their abattoirs and we dissected the entire, uh, the entire manufacturing process. Um, and the result of that was that we could actually determine the, the provenance of every, of every, of every steak. Mm. Um, but so that was. I just interrupt you briefly. So w when you say providence, I get what you're saying in terms of you want to make a, a clearly delineated and reliable trail of the, from production to wherever its endpoint yeah. is. Um, when you were like, when, with your example that you just gave with beef, just very briefly for my own sake, how do you do that? Like, how, how does that process work? And yeah. then we can talk about how it evolved to what it is today. Yeah. So the, the problem, the first problem that we notice is that there is the data about the provenance of every food item exists, uh, yet, yet it's uh, fragmented in so-called data silos, silos uh, in suppliers' databases and also the manufacturer databases or any database. If you have several steps in supply chain, you would have you know, data scattered uh, along this way. So what you need to do is collect uh, data, and the data needs to be structured in a certain way so you can actually make sense out of it and eventually uh, display that information to shoppers. Uh, so we started off in 2011. We were still students back then, mm -hmm. and it wasn't until 2014 uh, when we actually decided along together with co-founders Tomas and Brangmir to incorporate, incorporate in, in, in Slovenia. Mm -hmm. uh, and in 2014, a more scalable project, a more scalable product called Origin Trail was launched, uh, which allowed us to implement, uh, to implement it in several sectors of supply chain, in dairy, in, uh, in packed vegetables, in, in meat. Yeah. And now we're also transitioning into some other industries uh, outside of food. Uh, and all along, um, the most important question that we received not only from shoppers but also from partners in the supply chains was how can we trust you as an intermediary that actually brokers the data mm -hmm. from, from supply chains? And that was a very legitimate uh, consideration. And there is a, there is a very nice uh, definition of what trust is. Trust is very fragile. 
it can it's it's very hard to earn and it can be uh, very easily lost right. uh, once there is a scandal and even if a certain company is not involved in that scandal the entire industry loses because of one bad apple yeah and this is something that we wanted to prevent uh, with this you know initial version of of origin trail uh, what we saw is that we need to make another step. So um, it was not enough for us to be like a middleman that brokers the information. It has to be something else because there is a legitimate consideration that we might be changing something to it. Or worse yet, even the partners that are you know, sending us data might be changing something. Sure. So we need to have uh, a more objective, uh, objective reality when we display information to shoppers and yeah. other stakeholders in supply chains. Uh, luckily, uh, there, is a, there is a very nice technology, technology right now uh, that has a huge, that is, is very, very promising. Mm -hmm. It's called blockchain. Uh, and with blockchain, unlike, uh, unlike in the case when you, have, when you have a human being or an institution brokering, uh, brokering trust, brokering data, uh, you have, with blockchain, you have math and cryptography that is actually taking care mm -hmm. of, the, of the veracity of information, of the objectivity of the data and of the fact that the data cannot be tampered with because yeah. once it's uh, recorded on blockchain, it's immutable, it cannot be changed, it cannot be amended right. by anyone, not even by us. Yeah. So brief interlude, but you just kind of, you, you summarized how you got up to this point and then you just mentioned something that's gonna open up a huge can of worms because it's such an interesting concept and interesting technology that's, that's happening right now. Now, obviously there's a ton of buzz about this at the moment Last year, so this is January 2018, 2017 was a breakout year for blockchain and cryptocurrencies in general. Um, a tremendous amount of speculation in the market, which we will get into with you in a moment, because that's a part of any time you issue a token or, or you know, issue, um, launch a blockchain platform with an asset attached to it. Um, but you mentioned that you went from providing this service as a company, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you wanted to basically help... Uh, establish greater reliability, trust, et cetera, in the chain of supply for food, mm -hmm. right? Correct. So that we as end consumers can be more confident that we're getting what we're told we're getting, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So quality, safety, all those things, which is fantastic. Um, but you mentioned that the initial version of that was kind of, in, you had to be a trustworthy organization and your trust was susceptible to change for various mm -hmm. reasons, unforeseen, normal life reasons. But anyways, it had a central point where that trust could fail and then the whole system could fail in terms of what it's trying to deliver, that trust. The blockchain technology allows it to be trustless, as you were saying, right? right? So it allows the trust to be built into the system. It doesn't have any one point of failure. Anyone who's contributing to the system becomes an active member in it, whether they're creating the data or hosting mm -hmm. the data. Um, and then the compensation or the value in that system is crystallized in these tokens, and then that's what's used for compensation and value transfer yeah, within yeah. the system. You, you can complemented nicely. Yeah. <laughs> so that was just, uh, just an initial step into mm -hmm. the world of blockchain. Yeah. Uh, we implemented, uh, we built Origin Trail um, version 2 on top of uh, Ethereum network mm -hmm. um, and we saw that we could ensure immutability, immutability of the files that are coming uh, onto our servers, onto, yeah. into our database, central database and um, we see that the progress uh, has been made. Uh, having said that, there are still several inadequacies of blockchain, especially in the context of supply chain. So despite you know, the similarity in names, 
supply chains and blockchain, uh, those two worlds are not that easily uh, reconcile right. reconcilable. Right. Uh, and the first point being here is that blockchain is still garbage in, garbage out system. So if you don't have quality data, if you don't have data structured in a certain way, uh, the benefits the benefits or of blockchains are non-existent. Yeah. Uh, and Perhaps the second most important inadequacy of blockchain is that it's still very costly to be used in supply chains. It's not scalable. Uh, we saw that recent you know, crypto cities <laughs> phenomenon uh, actually clogged the entire network. Right. And this is something that uh, we, need, we need to take into, into consideration when we try to use it in, in, in supply chains. Yeah. Uh, now, and just pause you for one second, because for I mean I'm sure a lot of people watching this probably have some rudimentary or advanced understanding of blockchains, but basically for, for people that are coming at this kind of from the, from the beginning, Ethereum is a platform that allows you to build decentralized applications on top of it, right? Correct. So, you know, and the, the, the protocol or the tokens that it uses are ERC-20 tokens. So what you're referring to there is that there is a phenomenon, a product launch called CryptoKitties, mm -hmm. where there's these individualized kitties that are all different, and then you know they became super popular, and then they had value attached to them. And then because they were using the same platform that, let's say, for example, uh, your company would be using, all those transactions still have to be dealt on the, the Ethereum platform. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So yeah. the more people that are using it, the more congestion there is in the platform. Yeah, and there and are ICOs means, and several. Right, other and uh, there's so many so many uh, ICOs, so many companies are using the Ethereum network mm -hmm. as their mm -hmm. underlying infrastructure. So the more people that do that, the slower and the higher cost mm -hmm. using the Ethereum mm -hmm. network is, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. Okay. And it's, uh, it's a fair deal, I guess. Uh, integrity is a, is a great leap forward for blockchains, mm -hmm. and, but it comes at the cost. Right. Uh, and still, if you want to use this integrity, all the perks that blockchains are bringing, uh, there are some additions that need to be built on top of blockchains. Yeah. So it's not only applications that are going to deliver the, the, the kind of real use cases, yeah. but we saw that there is, there is something in between that is missing. Yeah. And that's why uh, we are launching so-called Origin Trail Protocol that is going to address uh, three main issues uh, of, of blockchains when you try to use, use them in, in, in supply chains. Mm -hmm. First of them is you know, garbage out, garbage, out, garbage in, garbage out fact of supply chains yeah. and uh, the fragmentation of data across the entire supply chains because if you would like to, if we would like to establish end-to-end -end transparency, we need to get data from several sources. Yeah. And in order to do that, we need to improve quality of the data, and we need to implement certain standards. And we are starting with GS1, GS1 standards. It's a, they call it global language of business. And on right. top of that, we're also going to, uh, over a couple of next months, month, we're also going to integrate other standards, mostly for for IoT uh, data, yeah. uh, scalability uh, issues, and cost issues of blockchains. And third, perhaps one of the most important um, kind of um, hindrances for, for, for supply chain stakeholders to join in uh, on syst to, to, to systems that are built on blockchain is uh, issue of sensitive data and also data privacy. Uh, so for, for that reason, uh, we are going to deploy uh, Origin Trail decentralized uh, network right. uh, or Origin Trail protocol that actually tackles all those three issues that I, that yeah. I just mentioned. Yeah. Um, the main thing here is that we are complementing origin, we're complementing blockchain with decentralized network uh, that is far less, 
far less expensive than, than blockchains. Still, it's running on top, on top of blockchain to ensure 100% immutability, yeah. but because it has a um, limited replication factor, so we are not replicating database on every node that is in the decentralized network, yeah. uh, but we use um, a so-called rule 2n plus 1. Mm -hmm. So we would have um, data creator nodes, so every supp supply chain actor would, es would establish its own node, so we have horizontal scalability. Yeah. And apart from that, we would have external nodes that would uh, replicate database that is also stored, that is already stored on the data creator uh, data creator nodes, and by that we are gaining, uh, you know, better cost efficiency, while retaining the most important feature of blockchains, which is immutability. Right. You just said it a, a, a lot just then. So I want to come back to the three components of the OpenTrail protocol that kind of allow for the solution you're trying to provide. We'll come back to that in a second. But just to give some context about, you know, because there's there's so much interest in blockchains right now, and once you kind of consider the, the capabilities of a blockchain at, least, blockchain, at least in theory, it's really exciting to think about all the different ways it can be used. But just, again, to provide some context, let's say, can you just describe for me like a real-world problem in the supply chain you know, network, the chain of supply for food, mm -hmm. that currently exists, and then how this sort of solution would fix that problem? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In, a, in a condensed form. I think food is a good example because if something goes wrong in supply chains, uh, not only people will be dissatisfied with food items they're buying, it may also result in serious illnesses, uh, eventually even in deaths, and we have witnessed right. that. Um, so it's super important that we have, we have alignment between responsibility in, uh, and accountability within supply chains mm -hmm. uh, when something bad happens so that we can clearly pinpoint where is the, where is the source for, for a certain problem that caused a, caused a, caused a, caused a food scandal. Yeah. Uh, and in order to do that, uh, we, need to, we need to collect the data from several sources so that, so that when we have a problem, when we need to make a recall, we, need, we, we can react quickly. Yeah. And this data needs to be, not only it has to be quality, but also it has to be mutable. So if, you know, Usually when shit hits the fan, when things go south, people have that tendency of you know, changing things. They, they have tendency of erasing things. Right. Now, something like that is not possible with, with, with blockchains uh, when, you, when you apply them in the right way for, for, for food supply chains. Yeah. So give me an example how it would happen now. Let's say I'm a food producer, and maybe I'm even malicious, let's say. Um, and I, you know, I'm making bad powdered milk. Or I'm, yeah. putting, I'm putting an ingredient in there that just gives me more yield. Like, mm -hmm. it's somewhat normal, but it, I'm getting more yield out of it. I mean, I don't know if you, the, the, I don't think Open Trail is necessarily meant to be kind of like judge and jury and finding bad guys, but mm -hmm. just provide more trust and reliability to the entire system. But, like, can you give me an example of how that is dealt with now and then how with the protocol it would be dealt with? Yeah. Uh, so right now, supply chains are very opaque. Um, companies at every step only need to follow and need to receive information for one step back and one step forth. So they need to know what's happening at their supplier stage and they need to know to whom they're selling to. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily to know where exactly ingredients are coming from for certain, for certain food products. There was, a, there was a research done in the UK. Uh, they did interviews with uh, like C-level executives, 
C-level uh, level employees in mm -hmm. companies, in food companies mostly. And the results were that um, approximately one-third of, of those people are not, cannot vouch, cannot guarantee for the authenticity of the ingredients they're using. Right. So it's not only shoppers that are you know, unaware of the provenance, it's also the you know, supply chain stakeholders. Yeah. And this is the reality we're facing right now. Right. So what uh, Origin Trail is bringing um, in the future uh, is complete end-to-end -end transparency. And that is possible because Origin Trail protocol, by its nature, it's neutral. It's an open source protocol. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to implement it by ourselves at every step in supply chain. <clears throat> it is rather companies that are already working as service providers, as IT providers, as hardware providers, <clears throat> to supply chain stakeholders <coughs> that, can, uh, that can build their existing applications on top of the or origin trail protocol. So or a protocol is an overarching solution uh, on top of which those applications are going, uh, are going to be uh, you know, running right, and providing right. value for, for stakeholders in supply yeah. chains. And this is what makes it more applicable to more complex uh, systems. So it's a, it's a, it's a collaborative environment. Yeah. It is not something that um, would you know, cause tension between you know, different IT companies. So we saw that in the past, companies felt that we might be their competitors, IT companies, because we, we are also by definition IT company. Yeah. Uh, and you know, by making that shift to a neutral protocol, uh, we, you know, we, we kind of remove that obstacle of companies being reluctant to use, to use the protocol. Right. So once this is implemented in supply chains, once the data is coming and being ex exchanged across the supply chains, mm -hmm. we could have a quicker recalls. Of course, shoppers uh, will be aware of the, of the provenance and not only about the provenance of the food, but also about food safety. Mm -hmm. And of course, if something go, goes wrong, alert systems uh, uh, can be built on top of the protocol so that we could prevent uh, serious damage from, from food scandals. Yeah. Let's say that the protocol works as described and as intended, right? Just for argument's sake. Do you think there's any actors within the system that would not want uh, that level of trust and immutability. So, for, yeah, ex for example, sure. yeah. let's, and let's put aside the malicious actors because that's the minority. But let's just say I'm a well-meaning beef farmer mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And previously, if scandal hit, one, perhaps it's difficult to determine whose fault it was. Mm -hmm. Is it my fault? Was there contamination in the distribution process? Whatever. Uh, and two, if I do discover it was my fault, and you know, this isn't a nice thought, but this is kind of how the world works. If I know it was my fault, but I know I could conceal the fact that it was my fault, mm -hmm. then I might choose to do that if the scandal is of such scale that it could be that disruptive to the business, right? Yeah. Again, yeah. I don't even like to say that, but that's kind of how the world works. So do you, think there's, uh, do you think there's a chance, or how much of a chance do you think there are that even though this, this system provides, you know, I think from a consumer standpoint, we would all say, yes, this is something we want in our food system. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's uh, actors within the supply chain that you're trying to um, accommodate that would actually, for those reasons, maybe not be interested? The, the, the accountab mm -hmm. accountability reasons would maybe even be a negative for them. Yeah, fair point. Um, when we started off the Origin Fair project in the, in the early days, uh, we mostly implemented it with companies that wanted to differentiate themselves from competitors. Right. 
And that was a small percentage of companies. And so, um, just sorry to interrupt, but you mean dif differentiate because if they can tell their retail they clients tell, that... They can, actually, they can all tell, but for some of them, it, it does not pay off to tell what, what is the provenance of ingredients. Right, right. Uh, whereas for our first clients, it was beneficial you know, to differentiate, to show what is their sure. competitive advantage. Well, customers want that now. So yeah. if, a, if, a, if a food producer can indicate that they're using such a high standard of, uh, of accountability, then I think yeah, yeah. I would pay more for that. You probably would, and I think increasing number yeah. of people would. So that was the, the beginning. Yeah. It was the differentiation. Uh, but then in the recent years, what we noticed is that companies see that poor transparency, not only vis-a-vis -vis consumers, but poor transparency you know, within the supply chain also affects their bottom line. So in, increasing transparency in supply chains, increasing accountability and responsibility, actually aligning those two, uh, can also have uh, very positive impacts on, on, on bottom line. Yeah. And perhaps not, uh, perhaps not immediately, but what is you know, bringing in tools like Origin Trail or other transparency tools, it's in a way a, an insurance policy for right. companies. Right. So if something goes wrong, uh, they, were, they will save huge amounts of money uh, by not, either not being exposing to a certain scandal, perhaps it was not even them who were subject to that scandal, but right. still, you know, when something hits the, the industry, then even the, you know, the fair, the, the, the honest actors suffer. We've seen that with E. coli, uh, with cucumber, cucumber scandal back in 2000, I think, uh, 13 in, in, in Europe, where actually um, Spanish producers suffered the most although the, you know, the E. coli cucumbers did not originate from, from Spain. Right. So this is something that companies nowadays see as, as an insurance policy that will affect their bottom lines, bottom lines in a positive way. So we've seen a huge shift, uh, and right now we're being approached by, by a lot of companies, bigger, smaller companies, uh, that would like to you know, use OriginTrail, that would like to use blockchain in order to uh, not only to be more transparent, but actually to improve their balance sheets. And right. this is what companies are... Um, you know, about. Well, that's the primary motive at the end of the day anyways, yeah. right? Um, so is it fair to say that it, it's, they kind of weigh the advantage of being able to say that was not us versus the downside of potentially having to say this clearly was us, right? And so in that case, I guess they're betting that they are good actors and that, you know, the probability is higher that they will not be part of the, you know, whatever mishap or scandal happens in the supply chain versus being the one that's yeah. responsible. Data is gold in supply chains. Right. Data, I mean in general, data is gold. And uh, if you're not collecting enough data, uh, and in supply chains, enough data means not only the data that you have in your own data silos, mm -hmm. but also data that you might receive from, from suppliers. And by you know, using this data combined, you can derive um, several use cases that are not only, you know, that do not only come into play when there is something wrong, but yeah. on a daily basis, you could you can increase efficiencies. Uh, just yesterday, I had I had a meeting with uh, with a Chinese uh, e-commerce company, uh, and their main aim is to increase efficiencies of their deliveries. So, in order to do that, they not only need data points that exist in their own data silo, but also data points that exist at the restaurants, at at at, at shops that they uh, get food from and then deliver it to to end consumers. So when they get those data points, they could actually play around with data and they, they can improve efficiencies. Mm -hmm. And here in China, it is crucial in this competitive environment for, for you know, last mile delivery, uh, the time 
uh, in which cons consumer gets gets a product ordered is is crucial. Mm -hmm. And again, we're talking about bottom line. We're talking about increasing efficiencies. And uh, actually, I think this was a critical point in the in the last couple of years when when companies saw that using blockchain. Uh, in order to be sure about the integrity of the data that do, does not originate from their systems and have you know these data silos connected um, you know will bring will bring benefits I think th that that crucial point actually um, was a kind of uh, kind of um, um, made, 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 made companies think that you know system like, systems like that should be implemented right uh, but of course what happens in the beginnings of supply chains um, not all actors will be satisfied, at least initially, mm -hmm. with, the, uh, with, with this you know, fundamental change in how we uh, also, how we change the way we trust each other. Not only how we change companies, but how, ch companies, uh, how companies trust each other. Yeah. But <clears throat> merely the fact that we are implementing the system where, will disincentivize bad behavior, behavior in the supply chains, right. uh, thus diminishing the, the probability of, of, of food scandals. Yeah. Um, and I think not only actors at the end of supply chains, manufacturers and retailers will feel positive benefits on, on their bottom lines, yeah. but also the beginnings of the supply chains, like farmers, uh, primary producers, because when you use blockchain, you also democratize uh, the data sharing, uh, and you also establish clear rules of data ownership. Mm -hmm. um, there is a huge debate right now in European Union as to who owns the data coming from, from fields. So is it the uh, John, Deere, um, John Deere as a company mm -hmm. who is actually providing tractors, providing machinery to farmers that are then collecting, uh, collecting data through those machines while you know, right. uh, taking care of their, of their harvesting? Yeah. Or is it actually the farmer that owns the data? Um, so what blockchain will also bring is, um, is, uh, is a way for every stakeholder supply chains, even the, the weakest links, you know, the beginnings of the supply chains to uh, get hold on their data and perhaps monetize data. Right. Uh, and as I said, yeah, data is gold and I think that value derived from the data should be um, dispersed uh, evenly across the supply chains. Yeah. And, you know, one thing you said a few minutes ago, but I, you know, probably bears repeating because this is a, a very new technology and it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you know, companies, people in general, like to stick with what is known mm -hmm. because the process is already in place and it's comfortable and they found their little efficiency and that's it. Coming along with not only a, a new way of doing things but something that's so, you know, still there's still a lot to be determined in how all of this is really going to work out. A lot of people such as yourself know that there's tremendous value in what these blockchains provide for a variety of different services but to sell it to you know, people in various industries, in your case, the food supply chain, and get them to change existing behavior is probably tough. But like you said, the proof is in when it hits their bottom line, when integrating solutions like this can actually make them more money, mm -hmm. right? So is, is the primary way it does that just through the, cons the, the value that consumers place on being confident and having trust in the, their food supply chain? Is that... The this primary is just, place? Just, just a small use case in the sea of potential use cases. Right. But is that where, is that where the value comes from? Um, ultimately. Because of course the value, there's efficiencies yeah, in the system. Ultimately, we're talking about uh, product safety. We're talking right. about uh, you know, people actually spending their dollars or RMBs right. or whatever 
on the on actually the, the products that they they, they think right. So they'll spend that's, more, they'll pay more, and that's the competitive advantage of a, com yeah, a company or a supply chain using some a blockchain or something like Origin Trail versus the way it's been done before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the ultimate goal. Uh, yet companies can still use uh, the protocol not only in food sector but also other industries because yeah. where <coughs> Origin Trail protocol is uh, industry agnostic, mm -hmm. it can be used in any industry, uh, in any supply chain because it's a very base layer technology. Um, what we cannot be agnostic is, uh, is, is, is towards the way data is structured yeah. and that is why we're implementing certain standards uh, when it comes to data sharing because we, we need to be strict when it comes to that. Yeah. And this is something we are not agnostic about. We are completely agnostic when it comes to industries, uh, but you know, we're very strict on certain rules that we implement uh, as you know, the, 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 the most important rules that we need to have in place if you would like to use blockchain. As I said, blockchain is a garbage in, garbage out system. Right. Consumers <coughs> will see benefits uh, not only through using you know, consumer-facing interfaces to see where the product is coming from, but also they will rest assured that product is okay. While the rest of the stakeholders and supply chains, uh, they will see you know, benefits in terms of, of increased bottom lines. Right. Uh, and you know there is a there is a there is a there is a sea of different use cases that not even we can think of right now. Yeah. Uh, we are being approached by companies, uh, service providers, IT providers uh, like ERP builders, um, hardware providers uh, to track temperatures in, across the supply chains, and they're actually feeding us with new potential use cases that they see they could uh, attach on, on the protocol itself. Yeah. Uh, and right now we're talking about uh, implications for finance industry, for banking, for insurance, uh, because as we implement also the consensus checks uh, in, the, in the supply chains, uh, this can also activate insurance policies. It, mm -hmm. can, also have, it, it can also bring benefits for the uh, letters of credits uh, sector in, in finance industry. Yeah. So there are, you know, there is a lot of benefits that we cannot think of, and right. it's good that we have, you know, different stakeholders approaching us and sure. just, you know, uh, giving us uh, food for thought right. as to you, how we could use the protocol. Sure, you're just starting with one that makes sense and that obviously you guys cared about from the, when you started the company. But you keep saying garbage in, garbage out, and I think that's probably one of the questions that come to people's mind the most. I think most people will understand how this delivers more trust uh, within the system. How do you, uh, well, just two questions. One, how do you prevent actors from putting garbage in, right? Mm -hmm. So for misleading data or inaccurate data, so by mistake or by intentionally. And then I know, I read on your website and in your white paper, and this is a, a common term um, throughout the industry, but using zero knowledge proofs, right? Because you want to protect the privacy of information from you know, different actors in the system while also being able to validate that information. How is that mm -hmm. done? Mm -hmm. So um, we need to take care of the objectivity of the data, yeah. plus that the, the fact that the data um, is structured in a certain way. Um, so we can have you know, the next benefit, which, which actually tackles what you, you, you just said. How can we be sure that the data someone is conveying uh, is, actually, is actually objective? Yeah. And um, by having data structured in a certain way, we can then compare data sets coming from different parts of supply chains. And at that point, we're making consensus checks. And when two partners agree, when you as my buyer agree that I actually sent you 100 kilos of bananas, right. 
uh, then we have a consensus checks, uh, consensus check. If you don't agree, if you if you feed the system with, with a different with a different uh, with different data, you know that is there, there's a discrepancy with what I sent as a supplier. Um, then we have discrepancy mm -hmm. uh, in the data sets, and in that case, still we need to record the reconciliation process. And having this consensus check in place is actually the the best mechanism uh, that prevents companies from just making right. the data up. Because eventually, if I do that. And if I'm selling you something, yeah. uh, you will lose a lot, and that's why you will not allow me to share, you know, something that it's not uh, true. Yeah. So in that case, does it come down to the ability of, you know, the one of the parties in a transaction or a trade, you know, between a, a producer and a distributor, to be able to identify all the characteristics of the product that's being traded? So, you you are the producer of bananas. You say you sent me a hundred bananas. And they were all yellow, yeah. and there was no brown spots, and the da, 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 all those things. And then I, as the receiver of those, have to confirm that all, everything you said is accurate. And then it gets Correct. kind of confirmed in the system. Correct. Correct. What, what about things that are more difficult to discern? Like if it's baby formula, mm -hmm. for example, because this has yeah. been a, a thing. Yeah. How do you know if I'm receiving that as a retailer or as whatever the, the you know after the produ production step is? How does things that are less obvious get mm -hmm. confirmed mm -hmm. in a system like this? Yeah. So what we spoke before the you know the consensus check, it's a huge uh, leap forward. Uh, but what we are talking about right now is the uh, whether a product is authentic, authentic, yeah. whether the ingredient uh, has not been tampered with, yeah. and this is uh, very important. And for that, we need to improve objectivity of the data mm -hmm. and also apply additional standards in the protocol. Uh, but the data itself is not enough. It, it needs to. It has to come from from somewhere. Um, in in the case where we merely track the movement of the product, um, kind of base standards, GS1 standards are enough. EPCIS standards for product visibility. Uh, but when it comes to determining whether baby formula is tainted or not, uh, we need to have we need to collaborate collaborate with companies that are providing forensics tools. Right. Because, only, because only when you use forensics tools, you can determine whether the product is authentic mm -hmm. or not. Uh, and this is where not only stakeholders in supply chain, uh, like suppliers and producers, come into play, but also auxiliary organizations that are, you know, uh, checking the uh, whether the product is stated or not. And it's also them that are, you know, recording data on blockchain. So we have. It's a multiple multiple stakeholder protocol, mm -hmm. and the, the more actors we bring in, the the, the more the more safe, let's say, the, the, the supply chain is. Right. And the more data it has to confirm yeah. and to, to confirm the veracity of all the yeah. statements yeah. that are made yeah. in the system. And again, what blockchain does, what sorry, what Origin Trail brings in, is um, it's it's a more it's a more seamless way for those companies to chip in uh, with data. Right. And so, what's a zero knowledge proof? Just yeah, out of so, curiosity, because yeah. So there is a huge. Um, we we saw we noticed so when we worked with companies and supply chains, there's there's a huge reluctance uh, with companies to actually share data. Right. But it's not. It's mostly not because they don't want to be transparent. They don't. They don't want to to have all those benefits for for their bottom lines. But it's it's rather a uh, their their fear that they might lose competitive advantage mm -hmm. by sharing too much. Because again, you know, giving out data it's like sure. giving out gold. Yeah. Uh, and in that way, we determined we determine actually which statement we would like to prove 
by sharing, uh, by, sh by, 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 by having this setting of where the information is being shared. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we do that, with, you know, when we apply zero knowledge proof technology, uh, we only prove, uh, we only show that the statement is correct, that the statement is valid, without revealing all the data, all the information behind that statement. Right. Uh, but still, the buyer can rest assured that, um, that the system is taking care of you know, um, all the crucial things uh, that actually determine whether, whether the statement is valid or not. Yeah. Uh, and this is, a, this is a huge leap forward, not, 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 not in a way that we will you know, uh, uh, you know, reveal everything, but still, we need to protect uh, every stakeholder in the supply chain uh, in order to, you know, to have this interest for them to join, to join this kind of system. Sure. Uh, this, is a, this used to be, a, I mean, it still is a blocker uh, for, for companies to join in. But once we have this kind of system in place, uh, it's going to be a game changer. Yeah. And so the, just the last question on that. The zero knowledge proofs is, some, is a technology or a... Uh, an algorithm, some kind that was developed externally that you guys yeah. are implementing, right? It's, it was uh, first implemented in, in Zcash, or right. it's being implemented, yeah. uh, and uh, it's a it's a new it's a it's a completely new technology. It's not an off-the-shelf technology. Yeah. So we still need to adapt it quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, and for that, we have a bunch of very, very uh, smart people in right. our company that are going to work, work on it. Because you think about it, it doesn't register immediately, right? Because like, how do I prove something with zero knowledge? Yeah. Right? It's not very intuitive at all. It, it, it's completely counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so uh, one of the things I wanted to, to kind of speculate on in the, just in, in the types of companies that blockchain technology is allowing now, so you mentioned that Origin Trail is providing the protocol, right? And it's going to be an open source protocol, and then it's going to attract a community of users, developers, contributors, all that kind of stuff. Is it fair to say, you know, now that we have these, these sort of systems emerging, and we're going to get into the token sale in a moment, but um, before you had a company that provided a product or service, and if the product or service was successful or, or added value to customer, ecosystem, whatever, then value transferred up that chain to the owners of that company, right? Mm -hmm. So a very centralized model. Uh, now we're having a model where a protocol is developed which provides an ecosystem that can become valuable if people choose to engage in it. Right? So you provide a framework and then different actors, different you know, uh, people that are doing different things in the ecosystem decide, yes, this platform is valuable to us because it solves a problem for us or provides a solution of some kind. And then by engaging in it, the value increases in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And then that value is expressed in a token, for example. Right. This is yeah. probably the, the most common way that this is structured. So instead of you know, from a single point, a product or service is pushed out and then the value tr comes up, an ecosystem provides a potential for value. The actors and contributors in it, in contributing to it, ex help to express that potential value. And then people that are contributing to it uh, avail or, or are able to receive a certain amount of that value for contributing in it. 
I don't know how convoluted, I don't know if that came out properly, yeah. but the, the, you know, I see that and I think this is a much more democratic way of uh, operating businesses, but basically providing valuable services to the world because basically the users become the stakeholders and the stakeholders are the users. Now, there is a big part of speculation in this market and that's probably healthy and I want to get into why that is in a, in a second, but... As a company, so when you're, you know, previously as an entrepreneur, I want to start a company, I want to provide a service, I want to make money. How does, you know, and because you had the experience of being a company and an entrepreneur in kind of the old model, how does your perspective change on, on being at the helm of a company, but now instead of offering a product or service and then having the value transfer up the chain, you're offering a protocol that could become valuable and that your work you're putting value into it, obviously with the hope of extracting a certain amount of value out of it by pr- providing the service that you provide as a steward of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. But as a, just as a mentality, how does that change for you as an entrepreneur going from seeing it one way to seeing it in an entirely mm-hmm. different way? So even before we realized what, what more we can do with ecosystem uh, rather than being just a centralist company, mm-hmm. uh, we received an endorsement from industry all the way from the companies that are currently in our live use cases uh, to bigger players uh, such, as, such as Walmart Food Safety Collaboration Center mm-hmm. uh, that actually selected us to be one of the participants of their inaugural um, food safety innovation program. Um, and since starting this ICO process, not, you know, the, not strictly only the token sale process, but the, the, the pre- preparation on, on ICO, uh, we saw that you know, um, addressing not only companies, but also potential uh, consumers uh, is bringing huge, huge benef- benefit for us uh, as, a, as an open source protocol because it's, it's giving us an even broader legitimacy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we can always convey the message that we're getting from our community, which is very much growing in size, and we're very happy about it. Uh, now, right now, we're getting closer to 10,000 uh, 10, people in our community, not only in Telegram, but other, but other channels. And this is giving us a huge leverage to uh, convince the, bit, the big guys that yeah. decentralized systems actually made, make a lot of sense. Uh, and what is also very encouraging is that we have even companies that are chipping in to, to this ICO process, mm-hmm. they would like to get get hold on the on this uh, cryptocurrency called Trace Token. That's right. actually its main value is to be the glue of the system. Right. So actually, there is no decentralization without a, a certain incentive, mm-hmm. and this Trace Token is being used to incentivize participants, peers in the networks, mm-hmm. to maintain database decentralized database in their system. So this is a core utility of this token. Uh, potentially, we see a lot of derivative utilities of that tokens, and I think you have briefly touched upon uh, one of them. Uh, we could use the token to um, to monetize data being generated by each uh, stakeholder in the supply chain, regardless of where where he or she is, right. uh, either at the beginning or at the end of the supply chains. Because on top of the supply chains, we have companies that might benefit from the data being created on a field, if we're talking about uh, food, food uh, solution. Yeah. And yet, at the current moment, there are a lot of steps in supply chains that are you know, preventing the big guys from actually gaining benefits from, from, yeah. from, you know, from, from farmers' data, and vice versa. 
um, you know, farmer has that data, but he cannot monetize it. So this is something, this is uh, an ecosystem uh, spill, spillover effect that, that we see uh, we will be able to leverage in not that very distant future. Yeah. But for the time being, in order to be, in order to be less, less complex uh, in, our, in our messaging, we focus on core utility of, of the token. Yeah. Because we see that although you know, the old way of being an, an entrepreneur, bu building your own service for, you know, only for your benefit and for the benefit of your uh, clients strictly, uh, we, see that, we see that opening up this, this system might you know, kind of uh, fertilize each stakeholder's interest and bring a lot more, not only for, for, for us yeah. at the end, but for each stakeholder in the supply chain. So it's, a, it's an interplay uh, of, of interest and uh, it's much easier, I must, I must say, for, for us as entrepreneurs to get engaged with, uh, with, uh, into conversation with bigger, bigger uh, accounts, bigger clients that will use uh, Origin Travel Protocol in the future because they know uh, they only see the apparent benefits they will reap very soon. Yeah. Uh, but that there is also much more to it that they will you know, take advantage of in the future. Yeah, yeah so, so users don't only get a valuable product or service, but they also become stakeholders that they could, you know, they could monetize in the future. There's, there's a lot of other ancillary benefits of now being within the ecosystem rather than just a customer of a product or service. But what I was kind of referring to is that, you know, you're, I presume you're a open, open trail as a company, right? Registered somewhere in kind of the, the formal yeah. manner. So in, in this, you know, for companies that are operating in this blockchain space but are still for-profit legal entities, is the, is the now the, you know, the kind of way that they attract investors who want to be compensated for investing in companies and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Now it's by virtue of the fact that they've provided an ecosystem. As a result of creating and providing it, they obviously get access to a certain amount of uh, the tokens that are distributed. Mm -hmm. And then the work that they put into the ecosystem, the value that they inject into it, if they do a good job and the ecosystem grows, those tokens become more valuable and that's the profit that the team, the founders, the investors can derive from the work of the company, right? Mm -hmm. That's basically so, how it works now? Um, not entirely. <clears throat> so the company that was established to issue a token, <clears throat> it's a not-for-profit LTD. So we're not generating profit uh, because uh, the, the entire sum of collected proceeds is, is used for, to, to, develop the, uh, to develop the protocol. So um, in, in that case, uh, we, are not seeing, uh, we will not see any profit uh, from it as, as, as a company, as a you know, um, but you'll see, legal you'll, entity right. that is launching a token. But I assume, like if I'm an early investor in Open yeah. Trail, yeah. would they be compensated by receiving tokens yeah. from the distribution yeah. and tokens, then the increasing token value. Token is a transferable asset. Right. And of course, of course, its value will appreciate over time. Yeah. And uh, what we see and what we have... Well, not of course, but hopefully. Yeah. Right? Uh, it will. There are two reasons why, why it will. Yeah. We already have use cases uh, that are still running on the, on the existing origin trail pro protocol, but yeah. th then they're going to be transferred to a newly deployed network. Mm -hmm. And once we do that, and once we add additional use cases on, onto the protocol, uh, we can see at least two factors that are going to push the price, price up. Sure. The, the first one, and perhaps the most obvious one, 
And uh, the, the most intuitive one, perhaps, for, for all the contributors is uh, supply and demand of, of tokens mm -hmm. and how they might benefit by you know, exchanging yeah. uh, the transferable asset. Although we're not you know, um, the ones who actually get involved that actively, what we, are do what we are taking care of right now, and perhaps this is the, the biggest differentiator between us and other ICOs, uh, is that uh, we are taking care of having additional use cases being deployed on the protocol once it's being launched. And uh, we have even come up with a mathematical model uh, that, that allows um, users of, of tokens or even the contributors to use certain, uh, by using certain value variables to see how the, how the price of the token will go up, not because of the speculation on the secondary market, but because of the actual usage of, yeah. of the protocol. Yeah. So we have two factors. So we have, of course, speculative demand and also the, the usage of the, of the system that, that are going to uh, affect the price of, of the token. Yeah. And so just to finish off on that kind of question surrounding how when you first formed and when you got investors, it was probably done in a more traditional way, right? Yeah. Yeah. So is it complicated to now, do you have to alter you know, agreements and things of that nature with those investors because now the, the way they'll be compensated is from, I guess, liquidating tokens that the company has within the system? I mean, is that complex or not so much? Uh, it's, it's actually, it's not that straightforward because the, the, um, the company that is not-for-profit company that is uh, issuing a token, it's, uh, it does not have traditional investors. But is there only a not-for-profit company or does OpenTrail also have a for-profit component or company? Uh, Origin Trail uh, protocol, the protocol company. Is the protocol company is right. completely not-for-profit. But does it, is there uh, another one associated with that? Uh, actually, yeah, we, we've, we've had a company for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and this company is actually providing expertise to build, to build the protocol. Right. Uh, but, the, but the company is actually issuing a token. It's a, it's a not-for-profit company yeah. uh, that is bringing you know, this open source platform that is going to um, you know, be used by, by sev several stakeholders. Sure. And once this open source um, protocol is completed, it can even be mutated by anyone else who perhaps sees some other value from the protocol being used in, in, a, in a certain other way. Yeah. Uh, and this is something, it's a, it's a common good, good at the end of, of the day. Right. And of course, the, the existing company uh, that has been financing in itself from the revenues, from the existing clients, and it, it is profitable, uh, we see it as a company that might benefit uh, just like anyone else using uh, th this protocol yeah. from, from perhaps building something on top of it uh, or even providing um, you know, um, uh, consulting, consultancy services to the companies that would like to use the protocol. Right, right. Yeah. So, okay. But this is something that is, uh, that is you know, separated, it, separate. from, the, from the protocol right. company. So, so in that case, and now we can dive into all the ICO stuff because that's ongoing right now. But you know, just to, in that case, when you're deciding... And you know this is a question for a lot of ICOs and things of that nature. When you're deciding how much to reserve for the team for early investors in terms of how much of the distributed to or how much of the so tokens mm -hmm. that you're going to issue, you maintain for development and all that kind of stuff. How how do you come to a, a figure for that? You know that obviously the community will accept as fair and that will compensate uh, mm -hmm. the team and early investors for early work and risk. How does how does that process work? Uh, well, first of all, you need to be sure that you will have enough 
uh, proceeds to actually uh, deliver uh, what you, what you promise to the to the community. Yeah. Uh, and um, because the protocol itself, uh, we have uh, huge ambitions. The um, the companies that are using it are considerably big. Yeah. Uh, and in order to you know deliver something that is uh, that is function functioning, you need to have enough pro proceeds. Uh, and that's why we believe that the hard cap we set is is completely appropriate. Um, you know, it's it's high enough for us to deliver something that is uh, going to um, going to follow the promises that that we made. Mm -hmm. um, and roughly half of the you know the overall hard cap is actually not going it's not going directly into the development of the protocol. Is actually intended for the incentivization of the usage of the mm -hmm. of the protocol. So other companies. Uh, will build their applications, their services on top of the protocol and get an initial compensation to, to prove the validity of their use cases. Yeah. Um, as for the distribution of, of the token, um, so we have the distribution split on half. Half of the tokens will go into, into an immediate supply. So it's going to be um, it's going to be sold. They're going to be sold in the uh, in this token sale that is ongoing right now. Yeah, we uh, forgot to mention it's happening yeah, right now. It's, it's it happening right now. Yeah, yeah. The pre-sale uh, started. And a couple the, the good thing is ago. we we did not spend a lot of um, funds on, on marketing. Right. And this is also important. Yeah. So we're financing um, we're financing the current ICO from our revenues and from the from the from the kind of. Part Contributions coming from early particip participants, right. along with uh, with the founders. Right. So this, um, so we did not spend a lot of money on marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, we did spend quite a lot of money on security because we wanted to make sure that um, people contributing in this uh, ICO are not, you know, losing lo losing their, their value. Yeah. And this is something that has happened a lot of a lot of times uh, with other ICOs. Um, so. The, the other parts of the token distributions are, they, they very, much, very much correlate to, to what um, certain participants have uh, you know, given in at the very early stages because uh, the risk that was assumed back then, back in the early days, back even, even you know, a couple of years ago by, by us as founders to engage uh, into, into such activities was considerably higher sure. than the you know the risk that, that is being assumed now. Sure, that's how um, it goes, right? So this kind of you know the distribution actually it, I think it very much resonates uh, with the risk and return um, setting back then and now. Right. So I guess but my question is, and I I agree. And of course, founders of companies assume all the risk in the early days. It's not yeah. a foregone conclusion that it's going to survive or thrive or anything like that. I just mean like, okay, we're doing the, the token sale. Is there a formula for how you decide how much to keep for the team and early investors? Or is it more of kind of um, a it's, feeling out? It's a, it's, we, we were following uh, you know, other ICOs. and So see, kind of industry standards? Yes, just to get a taste of what contrib contributors see as something that is appropriate. So right. we're not you know, going out of the uh, what so, what is what is there? In, so you the, make a, the a, a judgment call on what's fair and what's standard in the industry. Yeah, it's, and things it like that. boils down to to a gut feeling. It yeah. also it 
of course, you do some iterations, you, you, you talk with people right. uh, that already have <coughs> previous experience in contributing into ICO. Um, needless to say, you are being put in, you are being scrutinized daily right. and we've been receiving feedback since uh, uh, October. Uh -huh. Sorry, uh, yeah, October, when we first announced uh, that we were going we're gonna to launch token sale in the, in the upcoming months. Um, and also with the white paper, you know, it, it has gone through several iterations and it was exposed to, to, to public. Uh, so by collecting feedback, we also, you know, came up with the existing structure for, right. for token distribution. Okay, so, so now let's get into, I mean, like we said at the beginning, last year, huge year for cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, ICOs in general, yeah. right? So record numbers of ICOs, tremendous amount of speculation. Um, I'm sure that's no different with what's been going on with you. Obviously, more of the enthusiasm and excitement, at least more of the overt enthusiasm and excitement, so messages you get in Telegram and all social media and stuff, will be primarily from the speculative standpoint, I imagine, because yeah, yeah. your potential and future users aren't as excited as someone who thinks they can make a bunch of money. What role do you think... Uh, positive or negative, speculation of that kind plays in mm -hmm. what you're trying to do. So yeah. I know you're an entrepreneur and investors in your company want to make money, want to make a profit. That's normal. Nobody's going to begrudge anybody for that. But you're also presumably trying to provide something of value to the system that you, for various reasons, care about, right? Mm -hmm. Both I'm cool with. But what, you know, what role do you think speculators play in your objective, in your attempt to try and do that? Do they pro provide early capital for you to continue doing that, early liquidity, early uh, enthusiasm and press around this idea? Or is it detrimental because you get really volatile you know, value or price swings and that makes it more difficult to operate? Like, What's your take on the speculation around a token ICO? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, to be fair, every speculation, not, sorry, not every speculation, but certain speculation is, is good. Right. Because it's, uh, I think it's an essential fuel for novelties to, to get on the market. Yeah. Um, in, in some way, we all speculate on a daily, on a daily basis sure. in order to push ourselves somewhere. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's not different with ICOs. Uh, this is a good thing. Of course, the, the, the early contributors, the contributors in, in token sale, uh, they expect returns, uh, I guess. Uh, yeah. We should be, <laughs> sure. uh, this is something that we, we, we cannot hide. Anyone right. would you know, admit that this is um, actually predominantly one of the most important reasons why people go into ICOs. Yeah. Uh, but what I see as beneficial uh, out of this speculation is that uh, companies that even recently didn't have fair chance to come from you know regional stories into global stories uh, that are backed up by enough contributors but by, by enough manpower yeah. they actually now have fair chance of succeeding of being successful at the global scale and I think this is a it's very much connected to this speculative nature that that pe people have and even you know the the past inventions from airplane to I don't know elevator. Uh, the first investors were actually speculators. They, these were not, you know, risk-averse people. Right. Uh, and now we're actually reaping benefits from all those inventions. Yeah. So, um, it's do the not expectations of of speculators uh, 
the ethics expectations. Harm or pressure or yeah, sure, anything sure, in any sure. way? You, you, I mean, you see the pressure, but as long as uh, we are continuing to, 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 you know, to working in, a, in such a successful way, uh, attracting new companies that are going to use the protocol, being successful with the development, uh, also being prudent with the funds that we're getting, yeah. uh, then of course the, the, the speculators uh, along with other people that are in, not only because of speculation but also because they want to see this, this, this thing to be successful, yeah. they will all be happy eventually. Right. And now for, for ICOs, and this is something I'm, I'm not sure about, but is it standard practice, you do the token sale, right, and you raise however much money. Yeah. Um, is it standard practice for the company or for the, the platforms, in this case Open Trail, to once that's completed, to convert the proceeds to fiat or something more stable in order to not be subject to the volatility of tokens so that you can yeah. actually deploy that capital to whatever it is? Yeah, so as, as much as you can, I think one should avoid uh, you know, this volatility risk of, yeah. of, of the cryptocurrency that you receive as a proceed and that in our case that's that's ethereum yeah. uh, because it's not about us you know just assuming the role of the next an another speculator right but it's on us to execute the execute the project uh, so execute on the promises that we, we've made and all of that might not be possible if we speculate with the you know with the, with the proceeds that we receive so yeah. our stance is to um, to, to, to convert uh, the you know the fair amount of what we receive, yeah. so we can you know pay out salaries, so we can start the developing the project, and yeah. we cannot pay um, you know we need to follow the regulations, so we are pay, paying paying out salaries in, in local currencies. Sure. In our case, that's that's euro. So this yeah. is something that yeah we're following of course one hundred percent. Yeah, and that's industry standard, right? Because. Yeah. If you raise 10, 20, 50 million dollars, yeah. you don't want to be subject to the volatility. Now, obviously, I mean, I mean, there is a. I can see that oftentimes ICOs feel tempted, tempt, tempted by you know uh, just trying to speculate. Right. At least in this in this area era when everything is growing. Sure. But with every growth, you'll have moments when things will go down. I mean, I mean, luckily with crypto. Things are going up, not, not only lately in the last couple of uh, weeks, but also right. in the last couple of months right. or the, the past year for, for that matter. Uh, but still, uh, I think every um, prudent company should you know, be ready and um, also expect the worst. Yeah. So there is also the zero part to it, not only the, you know, the, the, the growing part to it. So that, that's why I think as a, as a company that actually is bringing value to the real economy, you should also stay in the real economy, uh, at least when it comes to the executing on the promises of the yeah, project. Yeah, I, th I think, like you said, that's prudent. Let me ask you, is it tempting, you know, I mean, you're an observer, you're involved in the industry, anyone who is, like you said, the last several months, the last year, have been unheard of tremendous times, and we're probably seeing the birth of, a, you know, a new industry, a la Internet 1995, you know, that, that comparison gets gets made a lot, and so there's probably a lot of room to grow, there's probably a lot of, you know, people call cryptocurrency a bubble now, and I'm sure there'll be dramatic ups and downs, prolonged, short term, whatever, but I, I think we're far, far away from being at the peak of crypto yeah. bubble, because we're just, I mean, it's been one year, basically, that the public is even aware that this exists, and there's mm -hmm. still so much 
yeah. uh, interest and, and work to be done in the ecosystem. But, you know, is it tempting to bump up the hard cap? Is it tempting to try to basically get more out of the ICO, make it a $50 million ICO, a $100 million? You know what I'm saying. We're all human. Yeah. We all see an opportunity we want to capitalize. Is it tempting to do that? It's, it's, it's never tempting to, to, you know, to outstretch yourself and then see perhaps your great vision to fail just right. because uh, you, know, you, you had that greedy moment. Right, right. Uh, for us, it was, the, the main question was, can we, can we deliver on our promises, promises when we set a, a certain hard cap? And of course, having said that, can we also reach that hard cap? Not only can we set the hard cap at a certain, at a certain level. Right. Uh, so it's a very tough question. Uh, there are a lot of, of course, uh, you know, emotions involved because this is something you're also putting your own funds into. So you're also risking. Uh, and for us, the main, of course, um, the main kind of red threat was to ensure that the pro project will be actually developed. Yeah. And uh, I think that the, 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 the hard cap is very much appropriate. And the things are volatile, so you should also just uh, fall for volatility. Everything is growing. Uh, and uh, actually, we even changed the. Um, uh, we we actually decided to wait out with our ICO when the things when Ether was growing the most. Right. So if we would have started ICO at uh, in December, and actually that was our initial uh, goal, we would have seen the the, the actually the hard cap uh, defect to go up uh, twice right. in the size. Right. Of what was what was because you said it as an ether amount, not as a. Yeah, it's you peg it to ether, right. and right now it's pegged to ether. But it, if we would have pegged it back then, uh, then effectively we would double our um, more than double, I think, our our hard cap. Right. And this is something that we. This was actually, and it's also described in our blog post back then when we uh, explained why why we are pushing um, why we are pushing uh, ICO forward. This was also mentioned as one of the reasons why we're not going to pursue token sale immediately. So to have you know, the hard cap at um, approximately uh, the same level when we complete the ICO. You right. know, because you know, when Ether goes up, also effectively when you, when you, when you exchange it to dollars, yeah. you know, it's, it's up, it's all up. Right. <laughs> so is there any different, I mean, it, so you set the hard cap as a peg to Ether rather yeah. than a dollar uh, yeah, amount it's, or it's something? Initially, uh, Back to dollar, it's right. 22.5 million uh, US dollars, right. uh, whereby half of it goes to incentivize other other projects. But there's minimum contributions, and then they get yeah, that's, that's solidified that was a, a certain pre-sale. Uh, but before you start, um, before you start token sale, you would normally peg it to ether. Right. And of course, there is a certain volatility uh, one, when when the you know ICO is being executed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, according to the numbers we're seeing right now. Um, and we see we have huge community. We are hoping to also to close the crowd sale even before the the official the official date when crowd sale was supposed to happen because right. we have um, we have more dynamic way of how we're executing the the, the, the token sale. So the right. pre-sale has already started. The the priority boarding that was given to to, to certain people is already underway. Yeah. It will uh, end today. Uh, actually, yeah, today uh, in, in all time zones. Um, and after this 24 hours, 
has passed, yeah. uh, we will have 24 hours of pause, and then the 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 the, the, the second part of the crowd uh, of the token sale kicks uh, of sorry of the pre-sale kicks in, mm -hmm. uh, whereby the gap will be filled in the gap that was not that was not uh, fill, filled in by by the initial contributors in this under this um, priority boarding uh, yeah. regime. And after this is done, after the, 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 the gap is filled, uh, the crowd sale will, will kick in. And uh, by doing that, we could effectively um, you know, complete the token sale very soon. And this is also in our interest, uh, because then the, you know, we will not experience that much of the volatility. Less opportunity for volatility. Uh, and am I right in saying that there was a tremendous amount of interest and that it seems like the, the hard cap will be easily met. Yeah. Are you, regardless of the amount Hopefully. of, <laughs> <laughs> regardless yeah. of the amount of interest in the pre-sale, you're still reserving a certain amount for the crowd sale. Is that right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, 10 million US dollars um, as expressed in Ether uh -huh. um, for pre-sale and 12.5 US, million USD for, right. for crowd and sale. And it seems like there's interest uh, yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's. You know, we've talked a lot about, and I know we're, we're getting a bit of tight on time, so we'll close it down soon. But, you know, I want to talk about the kind of personal component of, about this because the technology mm -hmm. is very cool and, you know, the journey you've been on is awesome. But what does it feel like to be, you know, you, your 30th birthday was a couple days ago, right? Actually, Today? yeah, yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> um, what's it like to be, you know, a 30-year-old entrepreneur in basically a, a new world of technology and entrepreneurship and business? You know, like, I, you know... I'm, you go around to these accelerator programs, you're getting awards in Beijing by Walmart. You know, I asked you where you're living now and you said, I'm flying around everywhere. Like, this is a very unique yeah. life uh, journey moment in time. You know, yeah. it's not just like being a busy entrepreneur five years ago. You're a busy entrepreneur, you're, you're doing things that people are interested in, in a brand new space that most people have no idea about, but know that it's significant. Mm -hmm. What's that like for you? Just put some words on it for yeah. me. Uh, when we started off this project as students and then as a, as a company with also young individuals, uh, we had nothing more but you know, a huge, uh, high ideals and a lot of audacity right. to start something for which many people would say, yeah, but you know, companies are always going to be hiding things, but we have proven them, them wrong. Uh, and right now with this uh, decentralization, things are becoming even more... Um, even even more intense because as you said you need to travel travel around and uh, in the last three months if I yeah just looking at the numbers um, roughly me and my co-founder Tomas who is actually covering uh, the US so every month uh, I would go to Asia and uh, Tomas would go to, to, the, to the United States uh, so both both of our travel itineraries could combined we have traveled more than 50,000 kilometers right. just in the last, uh, just in the last uh, three months or so. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's very exciting. Uh, it's exciting to go to Beijing to receive awards from Walmart Food Safety Collaboration Center. It's of course very fun to engage with community in uh, different countries in Asia and US. Yeah. Uh, but of course there are cert certain sacrifices that, that come along. You don't have, right. uh, you basically have no private life. Right. So you're flying between, between states 
and uh, not seeing your family. Right. And that's why it's very important to have support from your family. So <laughs> thank you, mom and pop. They haven't disowned, <laughs> they haven't disowned you yet. Um, and what, do you do anything, you know, like with traveling between time zones, lots of times in, in planes, staying at hotels? Do you do anything in particular to keep your head above water to stay healthy? Or do you just think I'm uh, young and I can, yeah, I, I can go for it and it doesn't matter? Yeah, actually, I think we are borrowing this stamina from the future. Right. Um, so, so we need no, to you're not doing much to take care of yourself. Is that uh, the answer? I try to. I try to. But it's very hard sometimes when you're switching between different time zones. So how, how do you try? From meeting to what meeting. does that mean? Uh, I don't just do some push-ups <laughs> in a hotel room, <laughs> jump on uh, in, into a gym if, yeah. if the time allows you. Um, eat healthy. Try to eat healthy uh, yeah. at least because when you travel to countries, you're not always quite sure what you're eating. Yeah. Origin Trail has not been implemented in every in every country, uh, but hopefully, <laughs> when future entrepreneurs will be traveling to different countries, they'll be at least. Um, sure, uh, where the food eating, is coming where the food from. Is yeah. Coming from yeah. um, <laughs> what, apart from the travel and that kind of stuff, what you know? What's been some of the surprising aspects of this on the downside? You know, because I I can imagine it's exciting, new industry, company attention. Yeah, this is all stuff that appeals to various components of who we are, right? Yeah. What are some of the things that have been you know difficult, challenging, or even disappointing mm -hmm. on the downside? Mm -hmm. You mean? About this journey, yeah, about, the, the, yeah, about this journey, but particularly, I, I guess, let's say, since you've entered into this, you know, new world of, of crypto, and then mm -hmm. if you've got something else outside of that, fine, but, you know, uh, it's very glamorous from an outside perspective, you know, a lot of people would hear you say, yeah, I'm flying around, we got our ICO happening now, blah, 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 we got awards from Walmart, yeah. and people go, wow, yeah. that's awesome, yeah. But they're not there when you have had 48 hours of oh, no sleep, yeah. when you're getting criticized online, when you all these things. So, you know, what's been some of the hardest parts for you? Uh, I mean, apart from our personal kind of psychological setting, uh, of course, when something like that happens, when you have fun that's, moments, that's when what something, I mean. something you know, joyful happens, like an award, or when you, you, you pitch to, a, to an audience that's very engaged, and you, 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 of course, you get this immediate satisfaction, right. which only lasts for a couple of minutes. Right. Uh, and then it's all, you know, back to business. You need to think of how... Uh, to deliver even more, um, so that's that's a personal aspect, uh, more of a community aspect. I see a lot of benefits in in crypto community. Uh, I see a lot of stamina because uh, after all, these are all young people. Yeah. Uh, what would be uh, good, at, at, I think that would be that will be necessary in the future, is uh, a bit more maturity, in a way that um, in the in know, the industry, you mean? Is, I mean. Um, in, in general, perhaps, uh, perhaps people should, you know, uh, expect more from the real, uh, from the real industry. Not, so not, not only remain in this financial part of the crypto world, right. but also expect and be more tough on, on the companies such as, such as we are right. to deliver real use cases of blockchain. Right. And perhaps this, is, this, is, this was one of the moments, but not only me, but I think that many, many people from the community were disappointed when they saw many ICOs promising a lot, even promising from a normal taste of an entrepreneur too, too much because yeah. you cannot execute on, th on, on the promises if you don't have focus. Sure. And then you would see those ICO failing. And well, that's the majority, that's, not even that's, many. That's, that's the majority. The majority. Yeah. But for the, for the real use cases in you know, real, real, in, uh, real economy, uh, apart from the financial world, uh, I think we need maturity. And one of the good things with our team is we have a 
we have an A-list of, of advisors, actually not coming from, mostly not coming from the crypto world, they're coming from supply chains, and uh, the, these guys are actually, they're very much mature, and they're also helping us, you know, steer across, across the industry that is quite conservative. Supply chains are conservative. Right. And not only the technology of blockchain and supply chain is, you know, not easily, they're not easily reconcilable, uh, but also the two worlds, the two generations are different. So yeah. the executives you're dealing with when you go to a meeting are, you know, 50 year plus, they are baby, baby boomers. Yeah. Whereas the community you have in your telegram, they're like in their 20s, early 30s. Right. So there's also the discrepancy in, in messaging. Uh, so we're kind of trying to build a bridge and I think both kind of communities should, should have um, enough empathy to, to help each other out. I think that's, that's very well put. I think bo having both ends of the spectrum have enough empathy to understand each other enough and consider each other enough to work together and cooperate. I think you're, you're probably right. That would be very good. How do you see, you know, people get, I mean, there's, we keep saying it, tons of excitement around cryptocurrency and people like yourself are envisioning ways to use this technology, blockchain technology, to make the, you know, make the world a better place, but improve certain elements of, of industry, society, life. You're doing it in the supply chain. Can you, do you ever speculate, you know, when you're tired, you're lying in the hotel room, you're in your bed, you get a moment's <laughs> pause or whatever, do you ever speculate what kind of world we're going to have in 10 years? Once, you know, this has its moment in the sun and it's really bubbly and lots of enthusiastic people come up and then a lot of shit gets flushed out and some remain that are legit and then we end up having a different world and again the comparison to the internet is probably apt we had a lot of speculation in the dot-com boom days and a lot of that went away but now we have the Amazons, the Googles you know whatever else is, is here from that time Facebook came later but you know what I mean internet companies that have changed the world that have fundamentally changed how we live our lives how we interact how we communicate everything do you ever speculate, envision what might, how blockchain technology might do that in 10 years' time? Yeah, perhaps blockchain technology is one of the least obvious technologies in the last hundreds of years. They're going to, they're, there's going to change things fundamentally. Right. Um, so in the hindsight, it's very easy to say what, what and why something has happened. <laughs> but in order to predict the future, I think uh, there was a great TED talk by, by someone who was explaining what blockchain is. And he said that in order to see what will happen in the future, it's always great to look at the gaps, at the gaps that exist in our society. Uh, much like, I don't know, the steam engine actually filled in the gap of, of power mm -hmm. and actually bring in, brought in some very good societal changes. So there was no slavery because of that needed. Uh, and similar to that, today we have this gap of trust uh, amongst people and amongst organizations organizations, people vis-a-vis -vis organizations. Yeah. So this is a gap that blockchain will kind of uh, reconcile in, in the future. But as the technology is so fundamental, it will not be visible. It's like driving, I don't know, your Lambo or whatever, and, yeah. but you don't see every component of, of, of your car, even the, the most crucial ones. Right. Uh, so I think what blockchain will bring, it will bring a huge shift in a way how we trust each other and also how we transact amongst, amongst, amongst each other. Not only transact, you know, uh, virtual currencies, yeah. but actual physical goods. Right. Uh, and the positive um, uh, implications that it might bring to society is, in my view, more, more democracy, right. better connectivity, uh, more safety, 
but all along, I think blockchain will not be visible. And in five years' time, no one will be perhaps even talk. Will, will be talking about blockchain because it will be invisible because it will be there. Right. And the uh, you know consumer-facing interfaces will actually be 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 a more obvious part of yeah. of, of what we interact with. Right. I mean, I. I when I do that myself, I, I get so excited about the type of world that these technologies, properly implemented and given the proper amount of time to, to be adopted, um, can bring. Right? Like you said, democratizing things. Like I think we'll look back at using services that hold our data, that track our data, that mon monetize our data. We'll look back at that and like, kind of be horrified. And, and, not only, you know, and also we'll think how ridiculous it was. Again, the, the benefit of hindsight, and of course we didn't have the choice at the beginning, so it's not like we could have done things differently, but in the future, you know, if you want to, you know, on, whether it's Google or Facebook, what have you, their product is your data, right? And yeah. in the future, have, you know, with these technologies allowing the, the users to be the stakeholders and allowing the users yeah, to have the autonomy to say what they do and do not want to share, monetize, sell, whatever, and then if they do make that determination, because perhaps we're going into an area where everything is so transparent, why not? They are the primary beneficiaries of that sharing, of that selling, of whatever it is. You know, it's yeah. really, really fundamental change. And you could see, you know, we were discussing how <clears throat> OpenTrail, that platform, or, and, and being an entrepreneur in that space, rather than a central point pushing out value and then sucking value back up, a, a, a network providing the potential for value, and then the users coming to it, uh, expressing that potential for value, and then being able to, to extract that value for themselves. So less value concentrated at singular points, mm -hmm. more value spread, ac spread across around distributed points in a more egalitarian way. It's I think it was put very nicely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty exciting to, to, to speculate on how that will change things. And I, I don't think we can. I think yeah. we can like think how might search engines and social media be different based on this and how might yeah. supply chain management, but I think it's yet to be determined like how fundamentally this will change things. And like all disruptive technologies, there'll probably be an area in between that things are a little bit uncomfortable for existing incumbents, you know, the big companies mm -hmm. of today, mm -hmm. because I think a lot of them will be disrupted by this technology. Uh, that's, that's correct. There, there's a nice statement saying that uh, Every company is going to be disrupted by the trusted version of themselves. And this is right. something that we're actually seeing. Or the trustless version of themselves where it's yeah, not trust required, less, right? Trust, yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, and this is actually, we, we see that companies, the, the big ones that are approaching us, they are very much aware of that. Yeah. And uh, we will see, I think, I guess we will see first use cases that where origin is being used even with, with the bigger accounts very soon. Uh, but their main aim currently is to see how they should adapt their business models in order to fit into that trustless society. Right. So in the first um, couple of months, of course, things are going to be more based on a pilot projects. But then when companies, even the bigger ones, see how they might, might even redistribute the value because they created more than they have you know, created so far, yeah. uh, then we will all see, also see wider deployment. I think that even for bigger companies, they should not necessarily be afraid of, of blockchain and trustless societies. Yeah. Uh, as long as they start experimenting soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, and some companies are already doing it. Which right. Is, uh, 
And I think also it's going to require a reframing of their perspective on the role they play and what they are and are not going to be given license to do, and I mean license by not yeah. a regulatory body but by consumers and, and users, in, in this new environment. You won't be able to just without, um, you know, you won't be able to just across the board take user data and then sell it to whomever you want for, your own, for only your gain anymore in the, that environment. You, it'll have to be much more transparent and you'll have to maybe accept less you know, profit and things of that nature. I mean, again, who knows, but it's yeah. very, very exciting. I think this, um, not, I think it's not, it, I think even bigger companies that are actually right now mon monopolizing on data, they might gain even more. I mean, relatively, relatively more, not in, not, really? I mean, in absolute terms, they will gain more. Whereas in relative terms, I think all other stakeholders might also get a lot of value out of it. Yeah. And at least in the supply chains, we see that companies that they have kind of, you know, they have data being put in their, you know, silos, and it's called dark data because it's never used, even by the companies that are actually owning that data. Yeah. And if you can use that data that has never been put to use, and if you could use it for the benefit of your peers from someone that is, you know, your buyer in the supply chain and getting compensated for it, they, they both gained something. Yeah. And this is something where I think that the pie is getting bigger, not smaller. It's, 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 not, it's not shrinking. Yeah. So it's I think that I believe that even bigger companies will, will benefit from it if, of course, they start um, thinking about it immediately and experimenting yeah. and, you know, do some scenario scenarios for the for the future yeah. for themselves. It's it's interesting, you know. It's going to be so interesting to watch and observe how it plays out because it you know it makes sense. The bigger companies they have the the resources and the, they have the market position now to observe, realize something's going on, mm -hmm. and invest their way into it or alter things or whatever. But if you look back on history, a lot of it is an example of just hubris and ignorance and not really knowing the extent to which disruptive technologies are going to be disruptive. So you look back on the last 100 years, and all the, you know, the top 50 companies, the top 100 companies, the top 10 companies, all kind of went the same way. There's very few that were able to really adapt and change and be a, uh, still maintain their, you know, their position in the new landscape of technology or business or, or what have you. you know, it's, just, it's just a weird process that, these, you know, that it seems really difficult for large players in industries that are on the cusp or being disrupted to even though they can invest in, and buy the companies that are doing the disrupting, even though they can do a lot of different things, over time it just seems, yeah, I don't know, it plays out and it seems to go in favor of the technology and the people that are adhering to the technology as genuinely and as, uh, yeah, as genuinely as uh, whoever does it the most genuinely, right? So you can, you can dabble in blockchain technology and integrate it in certain ways, but it seems like the ones that really, maybe this is the best way to put it. I think in this future that we're envisioning now, and I'll stop after this, but I think the intention of the actors in that ecosystem, and this you know, directly relates to what you're doing now, will be more observable. Will be more, we can have more confidence, we can know the intention of the actors in the system more so than ever before. And in that environment, then we'll get to say, and determine we want to be associated with those types of actors with that kind of intent or we don't want to be associated with those companies, actors, what have you, with that kind of intent. And that's super exciting because in many cases now we don't have the choice or we don't have the information to make that determination. Um, 
we could stay here all day uh, speculating <laughs> about this stuff. Uh, a couple more questions, then I'll let you go. Um, two pieces of advice to entrepreneurs who are entering the blockchain space right now, mm -hmm. based on your experience, of course. Yeah, not be too greedy, mm -hmm. uh, because um, there are a lot of misconceptions about, about ICO. Uh, one of them being that um, you will get away if you're not being honest. Yeah. Uh, the regulation will take care of uh, those who are not being honest enough in this ecosystem and we are already seeing uh, regulate, regulators trying to do something positive about it, although we also have a negative side, side to it. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is one and um, take care for yourself. <laughs> try to stay, stay healthy, reasonable and try to have um, some positive um, societal outputs in, in your head once you're trying to um, popularize your concept because it all boil, boils down to the purpose right. of, of your project. Intention. Intention, like we yes, about, yeah. the, the why moment. Um, this is a strange question, but I ask it to everybody. Um, if you were a superhero, which one would you be? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> if, I ch if I'm choosing between not Batman... Cho not which one would you want to be. Which one do you think, like, if you... You're most most similar to like if you were turned into a superhero, which one oh, would you be? That, that's a, that's a very because everyone would very, say Superman or Batman or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a it's, huh. that's a very tough question. Uh, I want to have a transformer. <laughs> I want to okay. have a superhero car that is going to transform into a you know uh, big superhero. I never superhero. heard of that one. Okay, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but not Lambo, not Lambo. <laughs> <laughs> it's too cliche. Yeah, it's too uh, cliche. Favorite movie, book, musician. Um, books, um, I would say, uh, must, must sound quite, quite boring, uh, but I was, I would say, um, Brothers Karamazov. That does so sound very boring. It's, it's, it's <laughs> very, kidding. very boring. It's not, it's not <laughs> Harry Potter. Never heard of that book. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually the, the last time I had time to read a, an extensive book was, uh, was when I was still a student. So oh. that was the time when I read that. And what's it, what's it about? Oh, it's, in, a, in it's, like it's a Russian a classic, and it describes the, the, the relation and psychology of, of people uh, from, from, from Moscow and from the suburbs of, you know, suburbs, suburbs of smaller cities in, in Russia, hmm. and how the way, the, you know, the way the, 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 the psychological <laughs> milieu was, was structured back then in, in Russia is quite interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a nice interplay between, between actors, uh, sorry, between uh, characters yeah. in, in that book. Um, yeah. Anyhow, it's a it's it's a it's a boring thing. Uh, movie and book. Uh, singer. Or sorry, Sinatra. movie and musician. Yeah. Yeah. Sinatra musician. <laughs> movie. Uh, I would say Matrix. Okay. Matrix. It's like quite it. interesting. <laughs> All right. The last last few. These are like word associations. I'm just gonna say a word. You tell me what pops into your head. All right. Bitcoin. Oh. Um, currency. Blockchain. A uh, progress. ICO. Uh, crowdfunding. Speculation. Bad. 2018. Uh, success. Balance. Uh, harmony. China. Um, also progress. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to find the, the most suitable word, but I think it's more, more than progress. I would say, um, um, I would say, um, uh, uh, progress is good. Progress you is keep good. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cold, rainy Tuesday in Shanghai. Oh, hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Value. Uh, distribution. 
future, uh, promise, food, health. I'm gonna get this wrong. Giga. <laughs> Name. <laughs> All right, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you for granting me the time. I should have told you beforehand. We always go over on this, but uh, you know, with this, you're doing so much, and it's a, such an interesting space. When I have you here, I don't want to. I don't want to stop. But got to draw the line somewhere. So thank you for for coming in, granting me the time. Um, obviously, I wish you guys the best of luck finishing off the crowd sale and, and what comes after that. Um, for those people that are interested in either learning more about uh, what you guys are doing, using the platform, contributing, or of course uh, the crowd sale, you want to direct them anywhere, websites, Yeah, Telegram. definitely. Um, so for anyone genuinely <coughs> interested about the, the Origin Trail project, go to origintrail.io. Uh, you can learn more about the technical aspects of, of the project. Uh, we are looking forward to, to working with anyone who would like to use the technology for the benefits of uh, more transparent supply chains. Uh, and of course, we're, we're also hiring. So if you have technical skills, if you have uh, a lot of uh, experience and also uh, perhaps a lot of um, will to learn how blockchain works, also welcome to send us an email. And uh, last but not least, uh, you could also support our projects, project by becoming part of our community. So yeah. Warm welcome. Sweet. All right. Thank you guys for watching uh, the first official Tech in Shanghai video interview, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers, brother. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.